welcome. We thought, you know, we're going to do a family-style service. Might as well make it Batman-ish. So, hence the secret map. Uh, but all, but all, in all seriousness. So, for the next few months, this is what we are going to be dealing with as a church. And uh, for that, I am sorry. So, the doors are locked up there. Uh, we have an ADA bathroom down here. There's bathrooms all the way up on the third floor. Uh, instead of the bathrooms, they're usually right there, as well as kids ministry all the way up on the third floor rather than right there. Uh, but we are thankful to have a place to meet and to, uh, to meet on this Lord's Day and to praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, frankly, I think it's just always a good reminder whenever we're throwing any of these curveballs as a kind of mobile church, um, we will worship Jesus wherever we need to worship Jesus to worship Jesus because we are about Jesus. Also, today is a family-style service, which is great. If you are a kid in here, I'm really glad you're here, and just welcome. Uh, so glad you're here. So glad you're with us. And, uh, yeah, let me pray for us, and we'll go ahead and begin. Uh, King Jesus, we come before you as your people in need of you. Uh, we come to you with empty hands. Uh, I come to you as a, a broken man, a sinner, redeemed only by grace. We come to you as a people in great need, in a place and a city in great need, and pray you would do in this city what you've done in our lives, and you would save. Because Jesus, you are the God that saves. I pray that as we look at this very intense text, that we would find great joy in the things that you've done, not just what you've saved us from, but what you've saved us to, and that Jesus, that we'd remember, no matter what we do in life, we cannot earn your love, but it is a gift from you. Uh, and that our life is not lived trying to make uh, you happy so that you will love us, but responding to the great love which you poured out onto us through the cross of your, uh, through your cross, Jesus, to save us uh, from our sin and to life in you. Jesus, uh, please bless this time. Help me uh, as, I, as I work through this text. Uh, we love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Okay, so we're in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. Uh, again, this is a kid, or not a kid's service. This is not a kid's service. This is a family service, so I will be moving through the text faster than I normally would. So instead of three hours, we'll be here for like one. Um, but I digress. So here, here's the deal. Uh, many theologians, many philosophers, and many people think about the problem of evil and the problem of sin and how these, the human condition and how these things work. Uh, for those of us as Christians in 2015, uh, particularly those of us who live where we live, we live uh, in, in the church world, what they call the three C's. We're by a college, not just a college. We're by colleges. We're on the coast, number two C. College, coast. Oh, yeah, city. There's a third one. Uh, so we're city people who live on the coast, uh, surrounded by awesome, beautiful universities who do not live here for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, this means that we are the most likely, we don't just live postmodern, we are post-postmodern people. We are over-postmodern, we are beyond it, we are post-postmodern. Uh, and, and we find ourselves with a different problem of sin, and that is the convincing of people that they are sinners. Honestly, we live in a time and a place where we sort of have the, uh, in the great words of the American poet, I am right from my side and you are right from yours. Uh, and as Bob Dylan put these words in stone for us to the guitar, uh, we, we understand that, that, that here in Seattle as a people, that everybody's right about everything. There's a problem with everyone being right about everything and that, that not everybody can be right about everything. Um, and in fact, we live in a time and a place where, hey man, is, 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 you know, just obey your thirst, right? Drink Sprite, obey your thirst. Hey, if it feels good, do it, right? That is the place and the time uh, in which we live. And so half of what we even do as Christians is we're sharing the gospel is my favorite. Uh, as anyone does when they have hard news for you, say, they say the classic, would you like the good news or the bad news? And we live in an odd time and place where we almost have to convince people of the bad news. Now, we need to be careful there because we're gospel people. We're good news people. Uh, we don't just come and tell people they're sinners. We come and tell people there is a Savior. And, and that He's not just one who saved you from your sin, but saved you to life in Him. And there's nothing you can do to earn the love of God. And as we turn to Genesis 3, we see the origin of this reality, uh, the good news, the bad news, what we're saved from and what we're saved to. And I, I want us to see three things here as we dig into this text. Uh, one, 
the power of rebellion. It's intense. And I don't always use this word pejoratively, but also the power of religion. I'm going to be using it pejoratively. I'm going to be using it as in, in juxtaposition to the gospel. Uh, the reality is, is that you and I cannot cross the gap to get to Jesus, but that Jesus had to come and get to us. And once he has come and gotten to you, you're not the one that keeps you in his good graces. It's his grace and mercy in your life. And our life is a joyful response to the reality of his cross and the reality of his resurrection. Right? But for us to really appreciate this, we actually need to know what we're saved from. We need to know what we're saved from. We can't forget what we're saved to, by the way. So here we go. We'll start in three. And the way we're going to approach this text is I'm going to kind of quickly work through the narrative. Quickly, he says. Ha, ha, ha. Uh, I'm going to work through the narrative, and then we'll kind of look at these pieces as they come together. I, I say I'm going to move through quickly, and then I look at my text, and I say, well, I have to stop right at the beginning. So here we go. Now, the serpent was more crafty uh, than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. Something that Moses, who wrote Genesis, is going to be really clear with here, and I think if we're not careful, we miss it. It's not just that he's a snake in this situation. He's, he's appearing as a snake. This is Satan, by the way, and we'll get there in a second. But something is being made very clear at least twice in this text, that this one, this enemy, Satan, is a critter. What do I mean by that? He's created. And, and what's implicit here in Genesis is, Explicit in Revelation 20. If you'd go there with me, uh, you don't need to go there, but if you would like to go there with me, I'll be in Revelation 20 in uh, verse 1, 2, and 3. It says this. Two things you need to pull from this text. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon. John says three things about him here. And he sees the dragon, and here's where it gets really explicit. That ancient serpent, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan. If John wanted to be clearer, I'm not sure how he could be, right? The snake, the old snake. Well, he's the devil, and by the way, the devil is Satan. This equals that equals this, right? He's trying to be explicitly clear what's happening here in Genesis 3. This is the amazing thing about the story, right? Here are the bookends. Here's where everything, as we look here, everything is about to fall apart. The last two weeks we looked at how God made everything good and His holiness and His sovereignty and His grace uh, and His infinite perfection made everything good and then Adam and Eve are about to break absolutely everything. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, pay attention, did God actually So here's, here's what happens sometimes when you read this text. Two things can happen. We can get bogged down and distracted. There's, there's a serpent and there's stuff happening. And there's things that don't happen in maybe your ordinary day. We're Christians. If you're here for the first time, we are Christians. We believe God himself entered into human history, lived a perfect sinless life in the person of Jesus, died on a cross, rose from the dead, and is ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father right now. We are what are called supernaturalists. We believe a man rose from the dead and is seated. Oh, and by the way, that man is God, Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity. We're also Trinitarian Christians. If you're not Trinitarian, you're not a Christian. But there you have it. That's a different sermon for a different day that I'm not going to preach right now. I'm going to have to contain myself and gear down. Now, so yeah, supernatural stuff. Not, not honestly a problem for us in the text. Um, but what I think we need to be careful of so we can get distracted by what is happening? What is this serpent? What is this thing? Well, God moves. Okay. Uh, if I had three hours, we could, we could do a lecture on epistemology, but I don't, so I must keep going. Uh, but the other thing that can happen here, I think even as Christians, is that we can read this and we can, we can sit there, and I think I mentioned this even last week, you look at it and say, no, don't do it! No! God told you not to. You're going to wreck everything. And we can almost look at this and say, well, it's obvious, duh. What are you doing? What are you doing? And then you read it and you realize, this isn't new. There's nothing new about what's happening here uh, from, from this verse on. Did God actually say? How, how long have been people been saying that? Did God actually say? Did God actually reveal himself? Did God actually say? I mean, did, did he just do 
really listen to that old dusty book? It wasn't an old dusty book. It came there with the, the words of God. Living and active is the word of God. Now, here's the thing. We live in 2015. There are people who consider themselves in the tent of what we'd call evangelical Christianity. People who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who believe the, the, the truth of this book, this scripture, is what it says it is and who God says it is. <clears throat> and traditionally, we've had people on one side, we'll call critical scholars or liberal scholars, who are just busy saying, well, you know, that's not really the Bible or whatever. You know, it's got some nice stuff in it. You've got to pick. Something's old, something doesn't work, let it go. Take what you like, get rid of the rest. Right? Did God really say? Right? <clears throat> On the other side, we have people who believe this, like us, like Anger Church. That's what we do. If you're a member of this church, you say, yeah, I believe this, this truth, this story, this reality, this metanarrative, this thing, this thing that God has done to reveal himself. But right now, we live in a very interesting time where you get people, because usually those folks that sit over in critical and liberal, they like words like that, and they, they wear them, right? Like, I'm not making fun of them. I'm not using it pejoratively. Those are the words they use and like. They're right here. Maybe you're one of them. And you'd say, yeah, that's me. No problem. Critical scholar. J-D-E-P. Whatever. You got it. And Abby's saying, what are you talking about, Bishop? Don't worry about it. I just don't have time. Uh, <coughs> moving on. But right now, we have an interesting trend because we have those who want to say, no, I want to live here in in with the, those who believe the Bible. But there's a bunch of stuff the Bible says that doesn't work right now. But did God really say that? Uh, God didn't mean that. You know, the Matthew Vines of the world are saying, no, no, I, I believe this. It's just not saying what you think it says when it plainly says it right there. We need to watch out for this because this is the thing that Satan is doing. Satan, Satan's in there. He's, he's dialoguing. He's having a theological conversation about the things that God has said. And frankly, when the pressure is on, yeah, right? There's an itch to get scratched in there. And so I'm the oldest you can be to be a millennial, right? There's my cred. Whatever. So here's the thing. Here's my observation. And I was, I was talking with some of, the, some of the guys in our church who preach from time to time about this just recently. As a generation, I feel this in myself. I fight it and war against it. And as a generation, our besetting sin is we love to be liked. We love to be liked and accepted. We don't want anyone to think ill of us ever. And uh, frankly, that makes us into silly puppies. If you spend your life trying to make sure everybody likes you, particularly the majority opinion, you will never stand for anything that's unpopular. Our whole social, and I'm not going to rail against social media, but, well, I will for a second, but, like, do it, fine, whatever. But the whole thing's built around people celebrating you and turning you into a little celebrity and you feeling awesome about you. You love to be celebrated. I love to be celebrated. It's a besetting sin of our generation, and we are unwilling to do things that say, to say things or do things that are unpopular, and I think that's particularly hot for those of us who live in Seattle, where it's particularly hot for us to say things like, yes, I believe the Bible to be true. Yes, I believe he rose from the dead. Yes, I believe there's one way to God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, we do this saying, Come on, man. Come on in. God came to save, to save sinners like me, like you. And there's nothing you can do to earn his love. But he died to fix the problem that Adam and Eve are about to make. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of any tree. We may eat the fruit of any of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And you do have to have that moment. You're going to listen to that guy? Really? Again, I, I think we have an itch sometimes that wants to be scratched. I think, I think we need to be careful. I always want to be careful when I like something too much, particularly if I'm presented with like a theological argument that sort of smooths out anything unpopular I believe. I want to be very careful as I 
particularly as a preacher, and I'm reading all this different stuff, and I'm getting ready for the sermon, I want to be very careful as I walk into that place where it just smooths the road for everyone to go, hey, we love that guy, yeah! Because they're there. Someone thought it was funny. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, what's interesting is she doesn't know what death means yet. She doesn't even know what that means. She will not die. But she certainly doesn't know that Satan has something bigger in mind. That you can die all day long. But if you die all day long without Jesus, you will never suffer again. You're not going to die. We're talking about spiritual death here. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Okay, check this out. This is the lie, right? What have we been looking at for two weeks? Let us make man in our image. Before the fall, human beings were as much like God as God already wanted them to be. We already had it. We already had everything. This is why I think it's so important to remember the thing we get from the gospel, the thing we get when Jesus saves us from our sin, from death to life, is the greatest reward we get. It is not even eternal life. It's Jesus and the eternal life that comes with Jesus. The great reward of the gospel is seeing and knowing God who made everything in the face of Jesus Christ. There's nothing greater than that. There is no greater reward than knowing God who made everything Nothing. Brothers and sisters, she was already as much like God as God wanted her to be. She was already made in the image and likeness of God in the Imago Dei. And then you have that moment like, don't do it. No. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, I mentioned this a little bit last week, and, and I think this is important. We could go on. There have been so many different views on what this means. I think the best understanding of what this tree really represents, that this tree actually is this historical tree, historical real tree, theological truth. They're both there, right? They're both happening, right? I, I think it's sort of the, the moral independence from God. It's the autonomy in decision-making from God because he knows what good and evil is, right? God said, don't eat that tree. Well, that's evil. God said not to do that. So she knows good and evil. Good is don't eat it. Evil is eat it. I think it, I think it represents this kind of autonomy, this, this life that says, I don't, God, I don't need you. I don't need you to tell me. I don't need your help, right? I can make my decisions on my own. My eyes will be open, etc., etc. You will not surely die, for God knows that when... You eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate. This is nothing new. Go with me to 1 John. And this, I'm going to pick on you if you have your phone. Everyone uses their phone. When I use my phone, I can't do this. I use my phone Bible. I got fancy pants Bible, Bible software on my phone. that I can pull up articles written by dead guys all day long on my telephone. I love my phone, and I keep my Bible in my pocket, right? Hebrew Bible, Greek Bible, every other Bible in my pocket. That, whoever thought of that, whatever the purpose of the Internet and the iPhone all that, I don't care. What God gave me out of it was I keep a, the Bible in my pocket all the time, which is great. However, this is what always frustrates me because I can't do this. Um, but if you go with me to John, 1 John, pardon me, there's two kind of sections of John. There's John, the gospel, and 1 John. And if, if, if you need help figuring that stuff, I, I always say this when I come to John. When, if you need help figuring out your way around the Bible, one of the first times I ever went to a church gathering, the guy was preaching, I think, out of 1 John. I was in John's gospel the whole time. I was lost and confused. So he's, he, we want you to know this thing and have this thing, and have some ownership over this thing. If you need help getting there, we have people who would love to sit down and help you 
own your Bible. Even if you're not a Christian, we, we'll, we'll sit down, we'll read the thing, we'll a- answer questions. Just, just as an aside, please, please. We've got people who just love to grab a cup of coffee with you and just walk through this thing with you. Anyways, moving on. Uh, 1 John chapter uh, 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, John... John's Gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, which are letters, and the book of Revelation, uses this word the same way all the time. It, it means the forces that are against the triune God of the Bible, right? The, the things of the world that are organized against God, which, by the way, if you know the one verse, and it's a football day, so I know some of you know the verse, John 3, 16, right? I want it back, but I'll, I, will, I don't have time to talk about all the things I want back. I want born again back. I want John 3.16 back. Those belong to the church. John 3.16. God so loved the world. God so loved all that was organized against him that he sent his son to redeem it. That is the God that we preach. So as we deliver the bad news, man, let it never not be followed by the really, 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 really good news. That when I didn't love him, he loved me first. And then when I was organized against him, he bled and died to make me alive. And I can't earn that for anything. This is the pronouncement. The gospel is news to be pronounced. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't be chasing Jesus and the stuff of the world at the same time. You can't be chasing the praise of man and the praise of the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. You, you can't. There, it, it's, it's, it's a one-way street for all that is in the world. Now listen. So listen. You need to leave your finger here and go back. You've got a paper Bible. For, the, uh, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. What was he tempted with? For the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was the delight of the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. It's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. It's the same temptation you and I face. The Puritans would say that it's the flesh, the world, and the devil. That's how they break down 1 John there. The flesh, the world, and the devil. Okay? There's stuff in you that loves you more than God and other people. Right? There's stuff in us that we are dealing with. But there's stuff out here. You're driving down the street. Someone's got an awesome car. Someone's got an awesome truck. Someone's got a better house. Someone's got a better job. Somebody's got more money. Somebody's got a better life. And you look at it and you want it. Right? And then? serpent. God really say that? Well, that's not really against, no, no, that doesn't hurt anybody. You're just doing your own thing, man. You're all right here. Obey your thirst. Did you see that Sprite commercial? Buster Rhymes said, obey your thirst. Listen to him. Don't listen to Buster Rhymes. Don't, don't, don't do that. And you come back next week, you're like, what? Nobody listens to Buster Rhymes anymore, but once upon a time, when I was a kid, they did. And then you're like, oh, I'll move on. Don't forget about Buster Rhymes. Okay. Uh, then the eyes of, oh, pardon me. We forgot a really important part. Um, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Also in rebellion. Then the eyes of both were opened. And they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So this is, this is another thing. We'll, we'll come back to that idea right there. That's actually a very big idea. So kind of keep that bookmark in your mind. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Nothing is new here. I mean, I think this is one of those, when I, as I approach this text, just even looking, how quick are you to run to the Lord when you've sinned? When you know you've done wrong, how quick are you to run to the cross of Jesus Christ and confess to God who already knows absolutely everything? Lord, I'm sorry. 
that was wrong. How quick are you to go to others and say, that thing that just happened there, that was wrong. Please forgive me. Because here's the deal, right? They're hiding from the omnipotent, omnipresent God of the universe. And when we connect the dots to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you understand that when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. We're, we're released and freed to live holy lives, pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. But he knows. He knows what happened last night. He knows what happened on Friday. He knows what happened last week. And here's what he also knows. You can't out the cross. You have no sin that is too big for the forgiveness of God through Jesus. We are sinners who are saved by grace. So, so we don't live the rest of our life, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. You know, sort of what has been called, as much as I do love the Puritans and the drink coffee out of a banner of truth mug, that few people understand what that even means. As much as I'm quick to do that, sometimes as you read these guys, sometimes you're like, man, do you know that you are alive? What I preach about them is they understand the gravity of their sin against a holy and perfect God. That helps us understand the gravity of the cross when a holy and perfect God drank the cup of wrath that I deserved in my place for my sin so that I could be made right with the God of the universe and live. And when I understand the depth and the power of that cross, how quick I can run to him and bring that to him and repent and turn and change. And if you are not here and you are, or if you are here, if you're not here, if you are here and you are not a Christian, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not put on some slacks and some shoes. Shoes? That's what I'm wearing. I look down. I'm bad with sermon illustrations sometimes. There we go. Put on your Sunday best. Make your life look good and obey some rules so you will be right with the man upstairs. That is religion pejoratively. Religion pejoratively is we do things to make ourselves right with God. That is an extreme human inclination. Your efforts don't make you right with God. And if you are a Christian, you are free to read your Bible. You are free to pray. You are free to clothe the needy. You are free to share the gospel, not to get a report card so that God will love you, but because you've been freed by the Lord Jesus Christ from your sins to live a life for His glory, enjoying Him and glorifying Him with absolutely everything you have. Don't run from Him in your sin. Run to Him. And also, oh man, I mean, that we would be a community in Christ who knows whatever's going on in your life, the darkness and the muck and the mess, that you can take it to the church, the people of God. I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about you and me, right? Not just me, you and me, together as the people of God. So you can just be like, man, I'm, I'm not just struggling. I am knee-deep in my own mess and junk, and I need help. But also that we would be a people who believe you can actually be redeemed and freed from those things and live a life after that. You don't live the rest of your life with that victim mentality, but that God can pull you out of that. God can actually redeem you from the mess and the junk, and he does, and that's what he does. So let us be a people who aren't afraid and don't hide. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Now this is interesting. Not that he doesn't know where he's at. Where are you? you know, I was thinking through this little phrase. Where are you? What does he mean by that? Well, he knows he's behind the scenes, omnipotent, omnipresent God of the universe, right? And, and I don't, I think it's even beyond rhetorical. I think it's beyond, hey Adam, where are you? Come out from the tree. Though there may be some element of that. I think the question is, why aren't you right here? Why aren't you right here? Why aren't you in my presence? What's going on? And he said, and this is so, this is so tragic. When you think about what he has. And yet so beautiful what, when you understand what we will have. And I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid. I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
The man said, the woman whom you gave to me. Okay. Case study and blame shifting from this verse on. Have you eaten the tree which I commanded you not to eat? So first of all, biblical confrontation. God doesn't say, hey, Adam, can we get some lunch and sit at the table and they eat their meal and they make small talk and he kind of nervously sits and goes, how am I going to talk to him about that thing? And they get the bill. Now the bill's here. So Adam, did you sin? Can we talk about your sin? As Christians, we love each other. We actually take our, our grievances to one another. If you see someone doing something, other, and we always say, I don't like that you drive a lemon yellow whatever, Cadillac. Who cares? It's nothing little. It's nothing small. But it says, when he said, this is what the Bible says, and this is what you're doing, they're different. What a loving moment in your life when someone comes to you and says, hey, man, I love you with all my heart. This is uncomfortable. I lost sleep. My tummy hurts. By the way, if your tummy doesn't hurt and you don't lose sleep before you have this conversation, go home and pray for a while before you have this conversation, for the record. My tummy hurts. My tummy hurts. You can tell I'm a father of four. My tummy hurts. My stomach hurts. This is very uncomfortable for me. I'm losing a lot of sleep over this. I love you. This is what the Bible says, and this is what you're doing, and they are different. I love you. I'm not leaving you with this. I'm not just yelling at you. I'm going to tenderly with tears say, this is what the Bible says, and this is what you're doing, and I love you. I love you. This is what Jesus said. What a wonderful, loving moment in your life when someone else loves you enough to have that conversation with you. Conversation with you. And even allows you the opportunity to say, I don't think so. Oh, oh, you're right. I, I missed it. I'm not God. The Bible's the Bible. But, but you know, it's, it's a conversational activity. But if it's there and you say, yeah, you know what, I do see it. Or, of course, the scary option is if you say, yeah, I see that what it says. And yeah, that is what I'm doing. I don't care. Uh, more tears. More tummy aches. Stomach aches, I mean. Stomach aches. Man. Stomach aches. Um, sorry. So, but God doesn't wait. He just calls him out. Right? God doesn't wait. He loves him. Well, you know, it's Seattle, and I like to be liked, and, oh, I mean, you know, people have to make their own decisions. Oh, wait, I like to be liked. Oh, wait, but, oh, oh, wait, yeah. It turns out when you have that conversation, it, people don't want to hear it, by the way. But love people. That's how a church pursues holiness in Christ together. Now, here's our blame-shifting rotation. The man said, here's his response, the woman whom you gave to me. Well, God, don't you know it's your fault? Or really, her fault right now. It's going to be God's fault in just a second. Well, you gave her to me. She gave me the fruit. Adam didn't have to eat it, of course. The woman who you gave to me, uh, she gave me the fruit in the tree and I ate. So he blames God, the woman you gave, the woman who you gave. Blames God and the woman. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? He does confront her, by the way. The woman said, the serpent deceived me. Oh, wait, it's the devil's fault. It is the devil's fault. He did tempt her, but she did listen, right? The woman said, the serpent, uh, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord uh, God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you. And I think, again, Satan created. It's not God and Satan doing rock'em, sock'em robots together. Right, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and livestock, beasts of the field. The mirrorism, it's 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 in totality. On your belly you shall go, and the dust of the earth you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Uh, he, so we could spend all day in that other stuff, but the the thing I want is the beeline in fifteen. He shall bruise your head. Pardon me. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. So this is we're going to come back to this. This, this is a proto-evangelion in Greek. Proto doesn't mean um, doesn't mean like petri dish, like you're trying to grow someone. It means first. The old timey theologian called it the first gospel. This is the first sense of the good news of Jesus Christ, right in the middle of them breaking everything. In the middle of the depths and the darkness, all of a sudden light shines. 
Never forget that when you are in the depths of darkness. Sometimes that's when the light shines absolutely the brightest. So we'll come back to that here in just one second, okay? I promise. For the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Not cool. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We looked at this again with the creation. God made them male and female. In the image of God, he made them, right? So man and woman, equal image bearers of God, but different, right? The man's to lead, the woman's to help in that leadership of the task that God has given them to do. Uh, and before the fall, everything's working perfectly. He's the servant-hearted leader, and she's helping him with the mission Jesus has given, God's given them. They don't know his name's Jesus yet, and we're Trinitarian, so it's Trinitarian. But I let it out because I like Jesus so much. There it goes. Um, anyways, so everything's perfect and awesome, and then all of a sudden your desire shall be for him or shall be for your husband, uh, which is the same language as sin coming, crouching at Cain's door in verse four or chapter 4 we'll see next week. And he shall rule over you. So all of a sudden, instead of being this loving, servant-hearted, other-centered, how can I give of myself to help my spouse uh, know the Lord Jesus Christ more and to fulfill the task that God has given us for his glory? All of a sudden, it is now, how can I get what I need? What have you done for me lately? What can I get out of the deal? And all of a sudden, everybody's in the dog. Instead of the dog pile to serve each other, it's the dog pile for how can I get what I need out of this deal? All of a sudden, it goes to survival of the fittest in the marriage relationship in sin. How can I get what I need out of the deal? Instead of how can I give of myself to help my spouse love Jesus more? How can I, as the servant-hearted leader of the home, lay down my life as Christ laid down his life for the church to serve and, and to lead my wife? And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. By the way, the beeline is what we're after here. If his wife had said awesome things like, hey, there's a crazy snake running around here. You've got to stay away from that guy. God would not be upset that he was listening to the voice of his wife, right? Because he ate of the tree, of which I commanded you. You shall not eat of it. He didn't. It, it's not like they said, well, God, you said we could eat any of the trees. And we just found the tree and ate it. Didn't have a Miss Yuck sticker on it or something. We ate it, and now God's mad. He told them what to do. He told them what not to do. The great thing about God in your life, and I'm going to beat this drum through this series because it comes up again and again and again and again. What does God want me to do with the rest of my life? I think last week I said architect and engineer. Should I be a mechanic or should I be an auto designer? I don't know. I don't know. What do I do know? Love God, love people told you to do that. Get busy doing that first. Do that stuff. Yeah, he'll lead you. He'll guide you. Pray. Ask. But he's also told you what to do with your life. He's told you what is good to do. Okay. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten the tree that commanded you, you shall, uh, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. As, God, uh, as Adam rebelled against God, God is now creating ground to rebel against the man. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Just as an observation, how much has the uh, technology we enjoy in 2015 really helped us take it easy most of the time in our life? Our, our advances in technology have empowered us to be at work all the time. Your boss can email you at 3 in the morning now, and you better respond when the wife, boop, 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 get up, get up, get up, respond, go. Let me sleep, man. Let me sleep. We live in this totally wired society. My phone broke on Friday. Praise the Lord. It was glorious. I didn't get a single email on Friday. Well, I did. And if you emailed me, I do love you and care about you, particularly regarding church matters. I love you and care about you. Keep emailing me. Someday I'll get a phone that works and email you right back. It was just quiet. It was my watch all of a sudden. I couldn't move the screen. I made the mistake of handing it to a 19-month-old to distract him so that I could put food in his mouth. He's listening to some Weezer and feeding him. He's pretending it's his rock box. And the next thing I know, it doesn't work for some reason. And so all day Friday, all I can do is go, yep, it's 1235. I actually could see if someone texted me, 
That's nice. They texted me. I can't even text them back. Put the phone back in my pocket. That was nice. We can try and get out of this thing that is the curse. It ain't happening. Yeah, we might not be out milling our own grain. We're still working by the sweat of our brow. Can't get away from this thing. Now, I, I pointed this out when we were in Genesis 1. I'll point out one more time. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. That's why in Genesis 2, in verse 4, we know that we're now in Genesis 2, pre-cursed. Now we're post-cursed. Uh, by the sweat of your face, you shall earn your bread till you return to the ground. Very Ecclesiastes there. Uh, for out of it you were taken uh, for your dust, and to the dust you will return. Now, here, let's see God's grace at work again. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord, so he's still, things are still happening. Life is still happening, even though it's, he could have just, I mean, I have a humble, humble shop in my garage because I hit my thumb with my hammer and break most things and things don't ever turn out the way I want it to. And when I get mad at something because it didn't turn out the way I want it to, I throw it in the garbage can. Diamond's maker, there we go. And God could have, crumpled this thing up and put it in the garbage can and started all over. He didn't. They break it. He fixes it. We make a mess. This, If you want to see the business that God is at work in the world, he takes the messes we make and he fixes them. And I'll be honest with you, I never understood this until I became my son. And all of a sudden, you realize we all make messes all the time. And honestly, as a parent, you want your kids to have that confidence to know, I made a mess. I'm coming to you now. I need out of the mess. Okay. I did not think you were going to do that with my pens or my notes or my books. And I love you more than my books. Let's fix it. Let's do it. You have a chance. And my hope, and I think I can say this with confidence, I'm going to kids in the room, man, your parents love you. They'll help you. They'll help you follow Jesus. They'll help you. By the way, I'm so glad y'all are in the room, too, by the way. I'm so glad you kids are here. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, Trinity, in knowing good and evil. Not only does he reach out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat it. I think this is grace to them and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove the man... Uh, and at the east of the Garden of Eden placed the cherubim, the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. It is not, I mean, if you've seen someone just in their life where you've ever been there, where you're just wiling out and going nuts, or someone's wiling out and going nuts, it's really awesome by yourself. Not necessarily by God. So three things, the power of three things we see in this text. Rebellion, religion, and redemption. Rebellion, here's the power of rebellion. You can while out, you can run hard, you can run against the Lord, and you can mess absolutely everything up. In our sin, we live for ourselves, you can hurt others, you can hurt God. There's a lot of power in that, not good power, right? A tornado is not like good power, but it's power, Right? You stand at the Pacific Ocean, you're down in Oregon, where we actually have the ocean ocean, and it is a stormy, messy day. It is power, and it's scary. You drive through the Oregon coast, there's all these tsunami warnings. That's not good power. That's scary, scary power, right? We see the power of religion. How much good did it do Adam and Eve to try and fix their own problem? What'd they do? Take some leaves and sewed it together. That was awesome. Good job, guys. That's going to last. And maybe these leaves are more durable than we have here in Seattle, but I don't think they're going to last all that long. That's the best we got. We build this like house of cards. Look at my good works. Look at all the good things I've done. And again, we as Seattleites love karma. It is our primary religion. It is a religion that says, I do good things and good things will happen to me. One, there's a lot of confidence in how good you actually think you are, for starters. Hey, man, pay it forward. 
hey, walk forward. I did good. Good's going to happen to me. That's the way it goes. You're very confident in your good deeds. Secondly, your good deeds are as selfish as anything could possibly be. I found this microphone trick like two weeks ago, and it's, I like it. So if the whole reason you do good, the whole reason you do anything good is that good will happen to you. You are not feeding the poor. You are feeding yourself. If you do good so good will happen to you, you are not opening the door for the stranger. You're opening the door for you. It's about you. You are at the center. You're trying to displace God from his right place in the center of the universe and stand there and say, look at me, universe. I am awesome. You owe me. All of a sudden, the universe owes you. How's the universe going to give you anything? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but at the core of it, we need to see that this, this sounds so nice, and you can kind of apply it to other people. Well, he's a good person. Good things will happen to him. All of a sudden, all of our good deeds are just for us. You're throwing yourself the parade. But here's the reality. That is, that is the scape and the scope of every religion on planet Earth. You do good, so you get to go to heaven. And unfortunately, even some defect Christianities uh, that we have running wild in the world. And honestly, something we can default to is, God owes me. I did it. I read my Bible. I got up. It was like, it was like 7.30, and I got up and I read my Bible for five minutes. He owes me today, man. I read Mark chapter 1, the first part. He owes me. This is my day. And that's a gift to you. God's revealing himself to you. That's grace. Yeah. Get up. Read your Bible. God wants to talk to you. He gave you his book. You are literate and you live in America and the God of the universe has put a Bible in your hands. You are not giving God anything. It's a gift to you. You're welcome. You're welcome. But every system is a system that tries to get us up to God. But when we look at this and realize, I have rebellion, I have false religion, and what do I need? I need God to come down and get to me. That's the good news of Redemption. We'll conclude with Romans chapter 5. Starting verse 6. Because this is reality. And whether we want to sort of play the American philosophy game where we can make everything relativistic, uh, relativism stops in the middle of things like war. All of a sudden there's good and there's wrong in the when you've seen evil, you know there's evil. When you see sin, you know there's sin. Verse 6, chapter 5. For while we were still weak, you didn't do anything to impress God. At the right time, Christ, the Messiah, died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Since therefore we now have been, oh, there we go. Uh, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners. Well, you're still in rebellion. Well, you're still playing the karma game. Well, you're still trying to earn the love of the universe or God or whatever thing you're dealing with. Christ died for us. When did he die for you? 2,000 years ago. That's when. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We deserve wrath. We deserve to pay for our sins. And the good news of the gospel is God knowing that we deserve to pay the price for our sins and our rebellion and our hurt and all the things we've done came and drank a cup of wrath so we don't have to, so that we could be right with God. That is God's answer to our sin in Adam and Eve's rebellion, that though we have sinned against a God who is infinitely wonderful, infinitely perfect, infinitely valuable, who we can never actually pay back because if we're sinning against an infinite, wonderful God or, his, or, or human beings who he made, we can't actually fill that gap. We can't cross that gap. We need an infinitely perfect, wonderful God to come and pay the price for us. And he comes and pushes us out of the way and takes the wrath in our place so that we can live. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. 
We're in the business of being his enemies. He's in the business of making us his friends. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came, this is why we got here. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We're all guilty before God. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, because his was a big one, who was a type of the one to come. Who is the one to come? Jesus. Jesus, who is perfectly obedient in our place to make us right with God. Jesus, who came and drank the cup so we don't have to. Jesus came, who rose from the dead to give us life. Jesus, who's ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus, who will return and put everything back the way it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve broke it. And so as gospel Christians, we don't say, hey, you come and be like us. We say, we are broken, saved by Jesus. Come and know him. You can't earn the love of God, but God pours it out. On us through the blood of his son. If you do not know Jesus, today is the day. You can play the philosophy game, but you know. You know. You know you're not right with God. You know you're not right with others. He crosses the gap, not us crossing the gap to get to him. And if you are a Christian, let's sing. We're going to transition to communion, where we are going to, to uh, logistically speaking, we have gluten-free on one side. We have regular bread on one side. We have juice and wine, according to your conscience. We have a basket for the offering of the ministry. Uh, we come and we take of this cup. And as we do so, we proclaim the body broken and bloodshed of Jesus Christ for our sins. And so this is a celebration. The Apostle Paul warns us, consider our sin. Consider where you've sinned against God. Consider where you need to turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. Consider where you need to confess sin to him. Consider where you need to repent. But when we do that, we know that the cross is sufficient to pay the price for that sin. And so we stand and celebrate. We're forgiven. We're blood-bought sinners, saints. And so when we come to take this cup and we've done our business with the Lord, we know the gospel and we know what he has done. And so we celebrate with great joy we take this cup. With great joy we stand up and we sing. And with great joy, we know that we are free people and that we are living on the other side of the cross where God has ultimately done what needed to be undone, which is what Adam and Eve did and is in the business of undoing the things you've done in your own life. Pray with me, would you? King Jesus, this is your day, and you are our Savior. You are our Redeemer. I'm not worthy to stand here and do the work you've given me to do. But you've died and made me right with you. You've given me this task. You've given us this task of carrying this gospel uh, uh, to the ends of the earth. And, and you've given us the task of actually living in light of the reality of what you've done. Help us, Lord, to know we're redeemed and we're free and we're forgiven, not because of anything we've done, but every work you've done on the cross on our behalf. And help us to know what you've saved us from so that we can celebrate as we live saved to a life for your glory and for our joy. Jesus, help us. We have so much to celebrate and so much to rejoice in and so much to be joyful about. Help us to be marked by a joy, as a joyful, forgiven, God-glorifying, Jesus-pointing people. Because we know what we were and we now know what we are through your cross. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen.